One of my favorite trips that I've taken over the course of my life has to be the trip that I was able to take to the Holy Land in January of 2020. As you can imagine, there are all sorts of sites to go see. There's the places where Jesus walked. There's the places where he was crucified and where he rose again. That there's all sorts of different landmarks and all sorts of different places of importance. And it's truly a marvelous thing to behold. But I dare say one of the most impactful things for me was not necessarily the sights themselves, but it was the fact that we were able to look out and we were able to see things from Jesus' perspective. That we were able to look and see the hills and the mountains and all of the plains and even the Sea of Galilee and several different bodies of water. And we were able to look on these things and see exactly what Jesus would have seen and perhaps in a very similar way to what he would have seen himself. But we don't often think about the way that Jesus thinks or sees of things. We don't often think about that perspective that he might have had. Certainly we could think about that in the terms of the Holy Land. What about in terms of our own life? What about in terms of living out our faith? What about in those moments when it can be difficult to see? And what about those moments of our hearts and our souls where we truly need vision restored? What about those? Perhaps the readings in the gospel this morning offer us some perspective on all of those things. We start off this morning and we start with the first book of the prophet Samuel. Now Samuel at this time has been commissioned by the Lord and sent to go forward to the house of Jesse of Bethlehem and to go and to anoint the one that he has to has selected as his future king. And so he goes and Samuel goes over to this house and he finds Jesse and then he eventually finds seven of his sons. So he starts to go through, and he knows that the Lord is going to tell him exactly which one he's looking for so that he can anoint the right one as that future king. And yet, as he goes through, he starts to notice that the Lord hasn't selected any of them. And the Lord, in fact, reminds him in the course of looking through all of the sons that he sees differently than man sees. And so he goes through all seven, and he still hasn't found the one that is to be anointed. So the, the Lord tells him that the one is still not here. So Samuel asked Jesse, are there any more? Is there another son somewhere that we might have overlooked? And indeed there was. There was the one that was tending the sheep, namely David himself. And so this prophet Samuel, he asked him to go forward and to go find that son so that they can sacrifice at that point. Once that son is brought into that circle of the other brothers, all of a sudden the Lord says, that is the one, anoint him. And so Samuel anoints him right there on that spot, and then he's filled with the Spirit of the Lord. But notice the prophet Samuel. He couldn't have done this on his own. That he couldn't have selected out of these sons because he was so deceived by the appearances of the others that perhaps they were older, seemed like they were more mature. Perhaps it seemed like they had better stature. And yet the Lord still told him that it was this humble boy that was serving as a shepherd. And indeed, that's the reminder that he receives, that the Lord is going to tell him and he's going to give him his sight and not necessarily Samuel's own eyes. We move on and we hear St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, that church in Ephesus, and he has a very simple reminder for them, although in context and even as the implications are drawn out, it actually is something that's rather dense because he reminds them that they are children of light and that they are to make that known. In fact, this is a constant theme, and it's one that comes up many times for us throughout the church's liturgical year, and yet it's still important here because it's a reminder of the fact that being a child of light isn't a passive activity. But in fact, St. Paul's reminding the church of Ephesus, this is something very active. This is something that you have to choose. 
This is something that you have to go forward and to cultivate. And you have to do these works of righteousness. You have to do all of these things so that it becomes very clear that you are a child of the light. So he reminds them that they're going into a world of darkness, but they are not to be of the darkness. They're not to be consumed by that darkness, but instead they're to be filled with that light. So indeed he's reminding them that this is not something that's passive. This is not just something that kind of sets them off to the side, but rather it's something that's important. It's something that they have to engage in and really choose for themselves to be that children of light, namely children of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. So that reminder that St. Paul wants to give them, that they are called to be children of light, but that's something that's very active. It's something that they have to do, and they have to go forward and do all of these different works. Then finally we arrive at the Gospel according to John. And though this is a very lengthy passage, perhaps even more lengthy than the one last week, it's actually a very, very beautiful journey if you think about it as a whole. Because at the very beginning we see that Jesus encounters this man born blind, And the disciples immediately asked Jesus a rather interesting question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this is a common understanding amongst the Jewish people and even amongst the Israelites at that time. That if someone was so severely afflicted as to be born blind, there had to be sin involved. There had to be something that went wrong. That they had to have angered the Lord in some way to be so afflicted. And so they had that common understanding as well. But Jesus is actually turning that on its head, and he's trying to show them that there's something different. Because he's telling them that neither this person nor his parents sinned, that this is not a reality, and this is not a consequence of sin, but rather this is for the glory of God, so that his work and that the Lord's work might be made manifest in him. So in fact, he challenges them, and he tells them, it isn't because of sin, it's because the Lord is going to glory himself through this man's, even his worst imperfection or even this affliction that the Lord's going to bring glory about in this way. So he goes forward, he makes clay out of the dirt of the earth, and he smears it on the man's eyes, and he tells them this simple command, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man does it, that he believes what the Lord says is true. He goes and washes in this pool of Siloam, and what happens? All of a sudden he's able to see. Now think about this man's perspective. This man has been born blind. He's only been used to begging for years and years. And then all of a sudden this man comes along that he doesn't even know who he is. He tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And then all of a sudden he receives his sight. Just that simple gift of faith. And that's a profound moment. It's a profound moment for that man, but it's an even more profound moment for all of those Pharisees. Even the neighbors and even the man's own parents, they can't even believe what's happened. The neighbors, they see this man, it's like, is that the same man that we knew? Some say it is. Some say it looks like him. Then the parents even, they're not quite sure what to make of this. They know he's born blind. They know not how he sees. And even the Pharisees, they call him not once but twice because they just cannot believe that this has occurred. And what's more, he did this on the Sabbath that the Jews were forbidden to do any sort of work. And yet this man has the audacity to heal this man on the Sabbath. So what has happened? This man seems like a sinner. It seems like he's conflicting with the law. And what is going on? And indeed the Lord challenges and encounters them in that way. Because they don't really have that gift of faith just yet. And even the Pharisees, as we realize this man is being healed from his blindness, the Pharisees themselves are afflicted with blindness. That they don't realize it, that they think they're seeing just fine because their eyes are working, but their soul is not. 
They can't even encounter Jesus. They don't know and they don't understand. And then what's worse, they start to throw this man out and throw him to the side because they don't understand. They're not willing to change their belief in their heart because they're so blinded to what the Lord is doing, even in their midst, that they just simply can't comprehend it. But notice at the end, there's a beautiful ending and a sort of capstone to all of this. Because that man, he encounters Jesus yet again. And Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man asks, who is he that I may believe? His heart has truly been changed. This actually gives us a beautiful moment to consider. It's not just his eyes that were healed. But in fact, it was his soul. It was his heart as well. That he received spiritual sight that day as well. And he begins to worship Jesus from that moment. That in fact, he's in a better place than all the Pharisees, all of his neighbors, and even his own family. Because he's received that beautiful gift of sight. And not just in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. And so it's a reality and it's a challenge and it's something that is so beautiful and so powerful that they can't understand it. It's something that never happened in their time. And yet Jesus is right here working that miracle, giving that man not only physical sight, but also spiritual sight as well. What does that mean for us? If we go back to the reading from the first book of Samuel, we were reminded of the fact that our Lord wants to give us vision as well. That he's giving the prophet Samuel a vision in a certain way, and this is true. But he also wants to give us the ability to see things as he sees things. Because Samuel would not have been able to identify David as the Lord's chosen anointed if it hadn't been for the Lord's own vision. And indeed, that's something that we should strive for as well. That oftentimes we look around and we see things with our own two eyes. We get very stuck in our own perspective, and sometimes we really can't see where the Lord is. But nonetheless, there's this need and this importance to seek after the Lord, to seek after his perspective. Where is he working and what is he doing? So we need that ability to see with the Lord's own eyes because he doesn't see things quite as we do. But then we move on to St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, and we're reminded of the simple fact that we are called to be children of light. We all know very well that eyes are very useless if we're in a world of darkness, that if we have no light at all, we can't see, and therefore our eyes are just all null and void because we can't perceive anything. We can't receive anything visually, and we can't receive anything spiritually either. And so the reality of what St. Paul is saying, that we need to be children of light because we need that light to see. We need that light to go forward and to go into a world of darkness, to be able to wonder and to find where the Lord is working, even in our midst. Because brothers and sisters, it's so easy to be consumed by the darkness. It's so easy to be consumed by despair, by the fears, by the anxieties of life, by all the different things, by the fear, by the grudges, by all the different things that threaten to take our sight away and make it so dark and so consuming to us that we can't see clearly at all. And yet St. Paul reminds us that we need that light of Christ. But what's more, we need to choose to be that light so that not only can we see, but others can see as well. That even though things might happen to us and things might disappoint us or try to get in the way of our relationship with our Lord, nonetheless, we need that ability to see. And then that brings up the final point from the Gospel according to John. We hear about this man being born blind, and we think about it in that very physical way, that very real way of where he's not able to see with his own two eyes. And indeed, most likely, most of us can see with our physical eyes, at least to a greater or lesser degree. But there's the reality here that the Lord wants to give us not just physical sight, but spiritual sight as well. But that begs a question. Where are we blinded? 
Where are we not able to see the Lord? Where have we had our vision obscured to the Lord and to his presence in our midst? Because my brothers and sisters, every single one of us, you and I, we all have some form of blindness in our life. Perhaps it's sinfulness, perhaps it's areas of sin that just keep happening to us and keep repeating themselves. And so we start to lose sight of the Lord and we just get so consumed by these things. Perhaps it's by possessions, perhaps it's by prestige, perhaps it's just by being popular, or maybe it's all of these different things, these fears, these anxieties, these areas where we just can't see where the Lord is. Because all of these things, they start to cloud our vision over, it starts to make it darker, and perhaps it even makes us spiritually blind. But nonetheless, Jesus walks in our midst. That Jesus sees us and he wants to lift us out of that thing or out of those things that really cloud our vision or make us even spiritually blind. That he wants to tell each and every one of us to go and to wash in the pool of Siloam, to be made new, to be cleansed, to be renewed, to go to the sacrament of reconciliation, even to restore that grace of baptism in each and every one of our hearts and our souls so that we can see the Lord clearly again. Because my brothers and sisters, we do live in a world of darkness. We live in a world where it's so easy to be consumed by all of the different things going on. But we know that we need spiritual vision now more than ever before to be able to go forward and to see not only where our Lord is, but how he's trying to lead us home and how he's trying to lead us closer to that kingdom of heaven. But it's a challenge for us because we have to be honest with ourselves and see those areas of spiritual blindness. Those things that are really getting in the way of that spiritual relationship with our Lord, we have to be willing to surrender them and to let the Lord heal them. He might tell us to go wash in the pool of Siloam, or he might tell us something different. But nonetheless, it's important for us because he wants to restore our sight and to restore our vision. That we have to look with eyes that God gives us, that we have to be able to see things from his perspective. We need that light of Christ, as St. Paul reminds us, so that we're able to see with our own eyes and our own souls. But most importantly, we should be aware of the things that cause us to be spiritually blind and unaware of what the Lord is doing in our midst. So my brothers and sisters, that is the challenge. Because much like walking around the Holy Land, you can see all sorts of things. You can see all sorts of sights. You can see all sorts of wonders. But none is the most profound as recognizing that we are able to see things as Jesus might have seen them. And indeed, that's what we should be searching for in our own lives. That ability to see things as Christ sees them, not just with our own eyes, with our hearts and our souls, and ultimately with God's own eyes that come to us through our souls. My brothers and sisters, Jesus healed that man born blind. May each and every one of us be healed in our own spiritual vision so that we may see Christ more clearly and see through his own eyes as well.